Guys, if you're anything like me, looking at maps has always been a huge part of my preparation and execution for my outdoor adventures. I have been using GoHunt digital maps on desktop and mobile for quite some time now. I have used these maps for years for my in-depth e-scouting tactics and my methods of using offline maps during the hunt. Well, now I'm happy to report GoHunt maps now covers all 50 states. There's two ways to get the GoHunt map. You can sign up for a GoHunt Insider membership and get the benefits of all the draw odds, harvest statistics, unit breakdowns, strategy articles, as well as access to the 50 state maps, plus savings on gear for being an Insider member. Like right now, they're doing double points. For an Insider membership, sign up now at GoHunt.com, use the JScott promo code, and get a $50 GoHunt Gear Shop gift card just for signing up. You can also just sign up for a GoHunt Explorer membership, and that gives you access to 50 states for 50 bucks. Use the JScott promo code. Guys, also, don't forget to get a 10% discount on gear at the Go Hunt Gear Shop by using the J. Scott promo code. You can also reach out to my friend Cody Nelson of 20 plus years, either by phone or by text, 602-399-3699. Make sure you tell him I sent you. I want to thank GoHunt.com for their loyal sponsorship of my podcast. We're over 815 episodes in, and they've been with me for, since the beginning. I also want to thank Kuyu Ultralight Hunting for their sponsorship of this podcast. They provide the gear that I use on all of my hunting adventures. You can go to the Kuyu website directly, kuiu.com, order directly. They're a direct-to-consumer company. Uh, they make the best gear in the in the hunting industry, and I've been a loyal supporter of theirs for years. Also, phonescope.com. Go to phonescope.com. Use the J. Scott or jscott22 promo code and you're going to get a 10% discount at Phonescope. Guys, thanks for listening to the podcast. Thanks for, for supporting me. If you have any questions or you'd like to send me a comment, the best way to do that is on my Instagram account, at jscottoutdoors. Again, let's get right to this episode and thanks for your support. Welcome to the J. Scott Podcast. This is your guest host, Cliff Gray. I've been a guest of Jay's a few times over the years, so I'm really uh, looking forward to this, and I appreciate the opportunity that Jay's given me to guest host a few podcasts. And today, I'm actually interviewing Jay himself, so turning the tables on him. I want to welcome Jay to the show. Jay, thanks so much for the opportunity. How's it going, man? Start us out with an update. Well, 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 how the old tides have turned here. Who's in the hot <laughs> seat now? <laughs> Mr. I don't, Cliff, I don't Gray. Know. <laughs> Cliff Gray is in the hot seat. I don't know whether I'm in the hot seat or you're in the hot seat, to be honest with you. It's, uh, you know, I've been fortunate over the years to interview a lot of great people, Cliff, you being one of them, and have had you on the show. And it's just been a lot of fun uh, getting to learn about all the different things you do. And, um, you know, you and I did a little brainstorming the other day and, and uh, you thought you wanted to take a shot at uh, guest hosting uh, some of the episodes on the podcast. And, you know, with the great conversations we've had uh, over the years um, and with the great feedback that I've gotten while I've had you on the show, I thought it was a, a great opportunity uh, for, you know, m more than anything uh, for the listeners and the supporters of the podcast to, uh, you know, keep getting valuable content. So I'm excited about this, uh, guys, the listeners, thanks, uh, for supporting this. And, um, Cliff is going to be a great addition, uh, to this show and, uh, Cliff, things are going great. I just got off of a 30 day, uh, elk season there up in Montana and, uh, October 1st, I had a 16 hour drive, uh, down to California. Uh, my wife and Poppy, I put them on a plane in Bozeman and, and, uh, drove 16 hours and, uh, got here to California, to the beach down in the San Diego, the Del Mar area. Um, really like this spot here. It's, it's right on the ocean. Um, don't have to, my wife laughs at me, uh, in, in the month that we'll be here in October, I probably will not get in a vehicle one time. We walk everywhere. Um, we walk the dog. We, we can go out to dinner. Um, we go out and swim in the ocean. Uh, it's just a great kind of place to unwind. You know, people say, well, geez, you're, ha you're unwinding from a 30-day stint of elk hunting. It's kind of been a habit of my wife and I's 
over the last handful of years to come here and the weather's great. It's about 70 degrees every day, 75 and just beautiful. So yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, you guest hosting some some podcast episodes and uh, let the listeners also know I've got some uh, episodes of my own coming up here. We're going to be talking some coos deer and some mule deer, talking maybe some late elk hunts. So good stuff happening for sure. Awesome, Jay. And uh, that actually kind of leads me into at least my my first question for you. And I'm sure a bunch of your listeners probably have this this same question. And you kind of, the reality is you live a fairly unique life. You guys move around a lot. Um, I see that in your, your personal life, you know, my interaction with you. You always spent some time in Colorado, spent, spent a bunch of time in Arizona. And you also move around a lot in terms of hunts, you know. And I didn't know, is that has that been something that you've, always been open to or did that just develop over time in your in your exposure to hunting did you always kind of have the bug to find like a new new adventure or is it just something that organically developed well you know for me i'm kind of an all-in type of guy like i go in heavy and hard and you know i give it full effort and i've pretty much do that in everything that i do and and it's one of those things that i feel like if i um, you know, if I elk hunted 12 months a year, or if I, you know, were looking at coos deer 12 months out of the year or, or was fishing or rowing or, you know, hiking 12 months out of the year, I would be, bec- I would be great out of the gate for a couple of years, but I feel like w- what my life is now is basically kind of a transitioned into this because of wanting to, you know, do elk in September, you know, do the bighorn sheep in November and December, and then, you know, do this will be my 27th year doing the coos deer down in January in Mexico. And then, you know, having a little bit of break in, in February and March, and then diving all into the Gould's Turkey and then, and then start after Gould's Turkey in May, you know, then I start my summer fishing season all over the West, you know, chasing some of the best, you know, hatches all across the West. And one of the things that allows me to do and moving around a lot and, and kind of it re-energizes me for my next adventure. I feel like by, you know, having a different hatch to look forward to having a different animal to hunt, different strategies with all of those and tactics, you know, some are more glassing oriented, you know, the elk is more kind of hand to hand combat, you know, calling and bugling and digiscoping and doing all that kind of stuff. And then where you then transition into say, you know, mule deer and coos deer where it's, you know, much more glassing intensive, you're further away from the animals. Um, what it allows me, I think, and it, you know, I would offer this advice to other people out there that, you know, it, it, it keeps me from getting burnt out. Um, in other words, when I get through literally 30 days and I don't take any days off, just go, go, go during elk season, um, by about the end of the month, you know, I'm all, my mind is kind of starting to get ready for the next thing. And, um, I feel like if you don't have that, um, it, it, it doesn't allow me to be as fresh and be as good at it and put as devote as much of my heart to it. Whereas now I'm, you know, uh, already my mind is starting to think about the coos deer hunts coming up and scouting for the bighorn sheep hunt that, you know, I've got a client in Arizona and, 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 you know, it, so I guess that's a long answer to your question, but you know, my, my bread and butter business has always been real estate buying and selling and looking at real estate. And, um, you know, that just kind of creates, uh, that independence and that freedom. And so it's just kind of bled over into all my hunting and fishing and outdoor adventures. Uh, but I am a guy that, you know, if I get into, you know, saltwater fishing, like I want to know everything about it and I want to learn and I want to, you know, go all in, um, you know, whether it's turkey hunting, you know, whatever it is, um, fishing, you know, I, 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 in 2010, I wanted to learn how to row, 
um, you know, rafts down, you know, moving rivers and, and basically just learn how to be, you know, row and be efficient on the oars and, you know, be able to guide people, if you will, even if it wasn't for money, just guiding friends and family fishing. And so I bought a boat in 2010 and I basically just dove in head first and, and, you know, wanted to learn everything about how to row and, you know, everything about a boat and everything about rivers and, and, and all that kind of stuff. So that's, that's a long-winded way to say, yeah, I mean, we love moving around. Um, we don't have any kids. We just have our baby girl, Poppy, an uh, eight pound multi-poo. And, um, <laughs> we're, we're fortunate to, to get to travel. Um, and you know, some of my real estate investments that I've made over the years have really kind of paved the way for us to be able to travel. Um, we kind of laugh. We're hardly ever in one place more than say a month, maybe 60 days at one time. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll be 50 next year. I'm 49. I'll be 50 in February and very, very blessed to have this life of, of being able to kind of see different parts of the country and the world and, you know, get to enjoy, you know, restaurants and good food and good, good scenery and good views and stuff. So, um, very, very fortunate for sure. Yeah, man. You just, uh, you describe like living the dream is basically what it is, but I like that there's this perspective, Jay, because I, I think I can relate. And I think, you know, everybody, you know, what makes everybody tick is a little bit different, but I think a lot of probably hunters can relate to part of that. And you said that you like each one of these things you, in other words, you basically said you wanted to get good at, right? Like you didn't want to just go. I don't ever want to do anything halfway. And I'm, yeah. I'm I'm not good at everything I do, but I'm dang sure trying to try as hard as I can to learn. I'm sure. trying to be efficient. I'm trying to be effective. Like, um, I like to be good at, at lots of things and I like to be good at what I'm passionate about. There's always going to be people that are better at me in every app, every aspect of, of whether it be business, whether it be communication, you know, outfitting, guiding, whatever, but um, I'm just kind of one of those guys that I don't like to do anything halfway. And, and, and I kind of like the game. I like the pursuit. I like the challenge. Um, I like to get kind of socked in the mouth and try and figure out, okay, that didn't work. What am I going to do to be better next time? Um, and you know, I've just kind of been that way for a long, long time. Um, you know, whether it be in my real estate business or outfitting or even podcasting, you know, I just, um, just, just try and I'm always trying to constantly learn and kind of push myself to be better. Yeah. And I think the thing that's interesting about it, Jay, is I, I realize when I talk to people that do, do have a similar kind of lifestyle or way of thinking about it. And, and I would throw myself uh, in that group too is that the more that you do you the more that you do that the easier it becomes you know what i mean like the more like the, I, I even noticed it a little bit and maybe you can relate like when i had guides working for me if they were like a mule deer guy and that's all they ever wanted to hunt you know and we're talking about it in the spectrum of hunting they you know they didn't really want to guide elk hunts or they don't want to guide bear hunts but once they guided one bear hunt got proficient at it guided a few more then all of a sudden they would take on elk hunting or then they would take on fly fishing it's like you, you get some exposure therapy as you change things in your life and change what you're pursuing and the next one is the next like uh adventure or challenge or whatever is easier to take that step at least that's my thought on well it. I don't and i think you get more confidence as you go and you realize that it's it's not going to be easy and it's going to be a struggle and there's going to be things that you learn the hard way and there, you're going to make mistakes and i think if you take it with a mindset of like i'm just going to tackle this and i'm going to dive in i mean shoot when i bought that boat in 2010 you know, had, had Giannis, um, my friend Giannis, he was trying to tell me how to row. And I'm like, 
you telling me is not, I just got to get in there, get in the seat and start trying to row and get this boat down this river. And, you know, we're doing circles and we're going backwards and we're hitting rocks and we're (laughs) hitting waves sideways and water's coming over the side. And that's how you learn. Like you learn how to pivot and then, oh my gosh, you know, a quarter mile up ahead is one of the biggest rapids in Colorado and you got to figure it out. And there was no way for me to figure that out. There, you couldn't sit there and tell me how to do it other than just kind of give me some instruction and then just let me go. Hopefully I got a life jacket on and that's how I do business. That's how I do a lot of things. Like you've got a life jacket on, you're probably not going to die. Just go for it and you're going to figure it out. And, you know, the first time you go down the rapid, you may come down sideways or you may come down, you may end up at the rapid and you might be backwards. But then the next time you go down, I guarantee it'll probably be better and you just get better and better. And I think like you were talking, I think it just gives you confidence. Once you are able to tackle a few things, you kind of look at it and be like, listen, I'm not going to be perfect at this. I'm just going to dive in, try the, try my hardest and, and, you know, let it sort, let it sort itself out. And that's kind of how I approach a lot of things. Yeah, no, I, uh, I gotcha. You know, to bring it back to kind of the hunting and outdoors, uh, part of this, what, uh, of all the challenges you've take, taken on Jay, you know, you know, elk hunting, coos deer, you know, golds, turkeys, any of those, what, what has been like the hardest to, you know, to develop proficiency at, or just develop, you know, understanding of and, and, or just maybe even just getting the access to, I don't know, all the different challenges you might've had. What's been kind of well, the hardest? You know, I, I look at some of my outfitting business in a foreign country in Mexico and, you know, I would tell you that, you know, trying to navigate through the pandemic and through COVID and, you know, where you've already paid for ranches, you've paid for spots, you've got people backing out left and right and canceling and, you know, totally understandable that, 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 you know, that they either can't travel or there's travel bans and, you know, people are scared, whatever it might be, all of those you know, I think navigating through that was something that I learned a lot. I think, you know, operating in a foreign country where, you know, you've got a lot of hurdles. um, I just think it's one of those things. I always wanted to be able to show people the experience and the feelings that I felt when I see that, you know, 110 inch coos deer buck rutting a doe and chasing her all over a hillside and no one's around and the beautiful sunsets, you know, I, that's been one of my biggest challenges is trying to create a business atmosphere where they are going to experience exactly why I fell in love with Mexico, whether it be Gould's Turkey or, you know, coos deer or mule deer or desert sheep, whatever it may be. Um, you know, I've, I've always tried to paint a picture of that experience. And then I always want that experience to kind of match up what the real deal is when they go down there. And sometimes those two are kind of hard to blend together because, you know, if it's a guided trip, it's one thing where I can take them and kind of try and put them in a position where we're going to succeed and where, you know, we're going to be there early. So they're going to see those sun. I love taking sunrise photos, sunset photos. And, and a lot of that is just, you got to be up there. You got to be on your glassing point, hiking with the headlamp and be in position to spend 10, 15 minutes taking some photos of an awesome sunrise before then you are getting your intense hat on and wanting to glass a big deer up. Um, you, you know, so I've just always tried to challenge myself to bring those things in the outfitting world to people, be able to show them, whether it be on my Instagram account or talking about it on my podcast, and then trying to match that where when they come themselves, that they can get those same experiences Um, on a guided hunt. You know, I can kind of have a little bit of control me and some of some of our guides where I can say, you know, this is how I want it to go. And this is how I want the experience. And, you know, when it comes to shooting and laying down and being very calm and being very comfortable and, you know, not, not 
rushing anything and not spazzing out. I mean, those are all things, you know, that are challenges for me. I can handle them myself when I'm guiding, but then, you know, you get, you know, 15, 20, 25 guides working for you. You, you, you have to be a leader and you have to be able to explain to them. And, and a lot of these guys have more experience and been doing it longer than I have in some cases. So, you know, part of the challenge is you, you have to be able as a business owner, tell them how you want it, what you're looking for. And, you know, you, you, you kind of have to take the bull by the horns and, and, um, you know, take control of how you want that, that experience to go. And, you know, so I would say Mexico has definitely been, you know, some of the biggest rewards, but also some of the biggest challenges, um, you know, with me professionally. Um, but I feel like I've done a good job of, of, you know, communicating to the hunter what to expect. And, you know, it, it, it also comes down to, um, you know, making sure that their expectations are not uh, too, they're not expecting to too much because it can look easy on my Instagram, but the reality is most of those hunts are grinds. And yes, you know, by the end of the week, we have a whole video log and picture log of a successful hunt, but there's days and there's times when, you know, the conditions aren't great that, you know, the spotting conditions, you know, the deer are down, they're not moving. Um, it's not, it, it, it's not always, uh, you know, success. There's always struggles. And I think that's the same thing with, with business and with, you know, real estate and real estate business and all the things that I've gone through there. It's easy to look back after, you know, 30 years and be like, yeah, it's been a good career and, and it's, gone well, but there's plenty of times when, you know, you can't sleep at night and, and you've got deals that you're worried about and, you know, things that you're having to nurse along and putting a lot of time into it. So, um, you know, sorry if I'm rambling, but I just, you know, it's, it's most of what I do, I love it. And so it's easy for me to do, but it's not all rosy and, and there are challenges along the way for sure. Yeah. And I, uh, you know, just to piggyback on that day, like I reflect on my years outfitting and guiding and one of the biggest challenges that I don't think, uh, you know, outside folks see, uh, real clearly is just dealing with the variability and that, that goes for any business, but outfitting in particular. Um, and it sounds like you've gone through a lot of that because that's just a part of hunting and outfitting guiding. And that's, it's really, I found that very, very difficult um, to, to, uh, deal with personally, uh, in the business. It was my biggest challenge. Just, just like psychologically, you have to deal with the fact that every trip is not going to be perfect. And you also, particularly for when you were, you, I mean, you, in, not to like, not to this to be like a Jay praise fest. Maybe, maybe you want it to be that way, Jay, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't, you know, there's not very, you kind of put, you know, in a, in a sense, you put coos deer, um, as a thing, you, you were probably instrumental in making it a thing. And there's, you know, there's other examples of that in outfitting world. Jim Shockey did it with bears on Vancouver Island. And there's other examples out there of people that did it, but it's really, it's really hard because you're kind of going into the unknown. Um, so you have that variability to deal with, and then you have to control that and then provide it as a service. And I, uh, I give you props for doing that, man, because I can only imagine how, how difficult it is. Yeah. I mean, on, it, on one hand, it's very, very difficult, but on the other hand, it's something that I love and it, you know, the, the country speaks for itself. The experiences speak for themselves. Just the main thing that I try and express to the guys before they go down there is like, it's not always going to be easy and you have, there's going to be some things that happen that quite honestly suck. And there's going to be situations that you're just going to have to you know, roll with the punches. And I'm, I'm kind of, a, you know, my wife would probably laugh, but I look at myself as like on hunts and on fishing trips, I'm like the eternal optimist. Like I am, 
you know, Monty who fishes with me a bunch, you know, I'm just <laughs> constantly, you know, whether we've just gotten skunked all day and just, you know, we've hung up in trees and we've, the boat's been in the wrong place and it's just nothing has worked right. I mean, I think anyone that's gone with me will attest to I'm still in the game and I'm like, get that fly in there, get he's in there, he's in there, he's in there, you know, and, and, you know, get it in the right spot. Okay. You're in the game, you're in the game, you know, and nothing bites. And then I'm like, okay, next spot coming up. There's a rock, see that branch hanging down, get it in there, get it. And then boom, that 24 inch brown trout takes it. And it's like, it makes all of that day of grind and all of the struggle go away. And then you get this beautiful brown trout that's eaten and you get the whole experience of getting to see his, you know, jaw come out of the water and, and, and suck down that fly and then, it, you know, jump out of the water three or four times. But it's not like, it's not like that happens. Sometimes it does. Sometimes you get 10, 15, 20 hookups in a day and it's unbelievable. Some days you get one or some days you get a shot and you blow it or, you know, Monty's got the fly in there in the right spot. The fish comes to rise and I miss an oar stroke and, you know, basically pull the fly out of the fish's mouth. It happens. Um, but you have to go into, you know, life as, you know, around the corner is going to be the biggest buck of your life. And I feel like that is a strength of mine. I feel like it's always been a strength of mine. I feel like in searching for real estate deals, you know, you go for months and just get your teeth absolutely knocked in. You cannot find any deals. And then all of a sudden you come around the corner, boom, there it is right there in front of you. It's ready for the taking. So, um, you know, that's just kind of how I roll, um, pretty intense, you know, people, a lot of people that are around me on hunts and stuff, they love the intensity of, of the fishing, the hunting, and they love how into it I am. Um, you know, but I, I think there's a certain point where if you're just too fired up at all times, you know, you can, you can just be on such a roller coaster that it, it's no fun to be around. So, I mean, I just try and be an optimist and I'm always looking for, you know, the next big fish or big buck or big real estate deal. And, um, that's what, that's what pushes me. Yeah, no, I hear you. And on those things, man, I mean, I, I'm, I'm totally with you, like persistence and just positivity. I, it's, I mean, one thing about it is just nice to be around. It's like contagious. Um, but the other thing is, I mean, don't, don't you think it's kind of like a statistical thing, right? Jay, like particularly with big game hunting, if you don't, if you lose that positivity and, you know, just endurance throughout the hunt to keep going, like you could, you could miss half your chances or 80% of your chances that you just are never going to experience. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's attitude can adjust a lot of things and don't get me wrong. I'm pretty self-deprecating and, and people, <laughs> will, I mean, a lot of people would, would tell you, I mean, like, you know, I'm, I'm picking on myself and, you know, but as you know, as soon as that fly twitches and we see a nose come up, I'm the first one to be like all in the game and be like, all right, this is game time. Let's, let's hook up and let's make this happen. Or, you know, we're laughing and joking and talking, you know, maybe on the radio, like I couldn't find a buck if he was standing straight in front of me at 10 yards, and you know, just self-deprecating and, and, and having fun yeah, joking with my buddies, but then very quickly, you know, boom, I've got a doe. Okay. There's a buck chasing. Oh, this is a good buck. And then like, boom, all of a sudden just completely focused and, you know, ready for the game. It, for me, it's the love of the game. Um, it's the love of the pursuit and, and how we do it. Um, you know, how we do it is as important as, as the outcome to me. Um, my own personal hunts, like I don't even have any desire to pull a trigger on anything unless it's something that's extraordinary. And it's just the way I've been for a long time. And people can, you know, call me picky. They can call me snobby. They can call me whatever they want, but it's just one of those things. I don't want the hunt to end. You know, I want it to go and go and go. I, I've been on so many hunts where I go and the hunt's over and my time's out and the dates are over and you know, whatever the plane's going to pick you up and it it's over like it, but are, do I regret it? Most of the time? Absolutely not. I had the time of my life and you know, I'm in it for the experience and I'm in it to win it. And, um, you know, some, most of the time it doesn't work that way. Yeah. Yeah. And you stole my second tag along question. I think you already answered it, Dave. I was going to ask you, like, <laughs> you know, 
what what is it? Is it you know? Is it is it that you know uh, holding off or you know going through the whole hunt exposes you to more chances to potentially harvest you know a really exceptional animal, or is it just about more time? Spent, you know what I mean? Being I think it's a little it, huh? bit of both, depending on what you know I've got going on, um, you know, with business or personal life, and you know how much time I have. But it's it's getting to spend time doing what I love and the intensity of the game, and and being right in the middle of it. And almost if you you know if you pull the trigger, you're you're done and you're out. And that's one of the things I love about guiding so much is it you know, I started guiding in the first place back in 1997. I got my guide's license just so I could be in the field more in Arizona. It was still is very hard to draw a tag for elk. And I wanted to be in the elk woods. And for me, I was like, well, the quickest way for me to be guaranteed in the elk woods is I'm going to go get my guide's license so that, you know, that that's a way for me to be like, well, I'm an elk guide and I'm going to be in the elk woods and I'm going to be hearing a bugle. And I'm going to, if I can't draw a tag, I'm going to try and take someone and, and let them, you know, try and help them enjoy the whole experience. And so that's what started it all. But, um, you know, I think we all have uh, the same amount of time that, you know, in the day, And, but we all have different responsibilities and, you know, there's a lot of people that have, you know, kids and they have wives and they have, you know, family duties and business duties, and they have, you know, schedules that, you know, don't give them a lot of time and, and, and that's okay. And I understand that. And everybody's situation is different, but, uh, you know, the, the last thing I want to do is draw a tag of a lifetime and not be able to put my full, you know, whole heart and soul into it. Um, and, and so that's why, you know, guiding for me and, and outfitting has worked so well over the years because I'm able to kind of be all in for that season for about a month's time. And then we move on to the next season and guide, you know, a different animal. Um, so it's just, a you know, go, go, go mentality. And, you know, I, my wife laughs at me. I don't sleep very well. I mean, I sleep, but if I ever wake up in the middle of the night, it's my mind's going too much. Like I, 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 I I can't shut it off and it's a good thing. It's a bad thing. And it's a good thing. It's one of those things that like, it's what pushes me, whether I'm thinking about something I need to do with something in my real estate or my outfitting or podcast or whatever it might be. Um, that's, I just go, go, go. That's my personality. Yeah. And I like your perspective on it. It's like, it's like, uh, when people call me OCD, I, I tell them, thanks. Yeah. I, I mean, it's the, way, it's the way I'm wired. I can't help it. Um, you know, it's just the way it's the way I roll. Yeah, no, I gotcha. So you've been, you've actually been, I guess in the business part of hunting for 25 years a little bit a little bit more yeah so i got my guides license um i got my i started going down to mexico i believe in 1996 Uh, i got my arizona guides license in 1997 it's also the same year i graduate i graduated uh college uh from from arizona state university in December of 96 and in 97 in February, I got my real estate license. So I got my real estate license and my Arizona guides license in the same year. And, um, you know, real estate for me early on was working in a specific area in Northeast Phoenix, um, North Scottsdale. And, and I was going to sell land and be an agent and represent buyers and sellers. And that was, um, what I kind of set my sights on and, and, you know, I muddled around learning for two or three years in that. And then, you know, after a while began, uh, buying properties that I thought were undervalued and thought where I could bring value to them by bringing improvements and, uh, you know, started really doing that heavy from, you know, 2000 to 2008 and developing properties and selling improved lots and, and doing a lot of that kind of stuff, water power phones, trenching power and trenching water and sewer and all that kind of stuff and selling off improved lots and, um, you know, 
I'm always every day of every day of my life, I'm always looking for undervalued assets um, to buy and to figure out. And, you know, I've bought rental properties and, you know, investment properties, land, just I'm always looking for something. I'm always watching markets as I know you are Cliff. And, you know, I don't need to tell you you're, you're a Stanford grad, Wall Street guy turned, you know, back to outfitting roots and, you know, we always talk business and I love getting your perspective on things because, you know, you and your family, your brothers, and, and you've got an amazing amount of, of network. And, and it's, I just love talking about this stuff and figuring out ways and angles where there's a margin and where, you know, you can find a good, a good buy. And, you know, also with the outfitting in Mexico, you know, if over 50 ranches for coos deer lease down there and over 35 ranches for Gould's Turkey. I mean, it's a lot of work. You're dealing with a lot of people. Um, I'm, I'm a real people person. Um, I'm a, I try and be as good a communicator as possible. The busier I get, the harder it gets, but the more that I kind of got to dig in and, and, you know, just be as good a communicator as I can. Um, but, you know, dealing with the leases alone in Mexico, you know, with 85 properties, that's 85, I shouldn't say different owners because some of them are, you know, own multiple ranches, but I'll bet you sure. out of the 85 ranches, there's probably 50 or 60, maybe 70 different owners that I'm dealing with that, you know, speak a language that I don't even speak and dealing with translations and translators and, you know, contracts and, um, it's, it's, it's a busy life for sure. Yeah, it's a, it's a ton. And, uh, no, I can only, I can only imagine, you know, um, the, the depth of it. I want to, uh, I want to circle back though to finding value, right? And it, it made me, it actually made me think about, uh, when me and my brother were, were little kids and we would send Warren Buffett, uh, letters and, and he, and to see if he'd give us a job. And then he actually he actually sent my brother a letter back one time, but uh, but anyways, that's a, that's a different. Did it say stop it, sending me letters? No, I'm yeah, not going to give you it was a just, job. It's just a one liner. It's actually framed in his office now. But uh, um, anyways, it uh, it's funny because I actually I have always thought about in the hunting world, species, you know, state, you know, species, certain hunts in certain states, all that. I've I. I've thought about them in the framework of like undervalued stocks. And this, this may sound so weird to people out there. You're speaking my language. (laughs) Yeah. So like, I always think about it that way. And I, I've never asked you this question, but as you've gotten into different species, you know, your coos deer and, and gold turkeys, was it that you saw, you know, like, Oh, like for the experience, these are like undervalued trips. Um, because the reason I ask is I've noticed, I've known people, um, over time, I've had, you know, old clients that they were like the value investors of the hunters. Right. And what I found is they were always enjoying themselves because they had a knack for figuring out like what states and what species were just like an awesome hunt right now. And they didn't seem to get like stuck on it forever. Um, so anyways, I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. I would tell you that, you know, the romantic side of me would like to tell you that, you know, I figured out that Gould's Turkey and Coos Deer were, were not known. And that if I could get in there and kind of create a niche of, you know, showing, you know, Mexican Coos Deer and how how awesome they are. And, you know, the Gould's Turkey being, you know, one of the five subspecies of turkeys with six being the oscillated And like, I thought of it from a perspective of like, I'm going to start these businesses because, you know, there's not many people doing it. I would love to tell you that story, but really it came down to from the first time I saw coos deer and the first time I heard and saw Gould's turkey, I just thought they were the coolest animals. The fact that, you know, they primarily live in Mexico and Arizona and that, you know, they're not, they're, they're kind of, you know, that, that animal that people go, what is, they don't even know what it is. Um, but I would tell you it was the animal themselves and the behavior and the, you know, fun and feelings that I had while I was hunting them. And I just fell in love with the experience. And then I just wanted to, 
you know, what really I was hunting a lot, um, personally and, and, and shooting darn, I was shooting some really good deer and, 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 you know, people just started calling and saying, well, I'd like to go and, and, and hunt. And I, you know, so the business really started from like, you know, just people wanting to, to, to do what we were doing. And, you know, it kind of started small and, you know, I was heavy into real estate and really should have had no business with the amount of time that the hunting business was requiring, you know, it's arguable that if I would have put that much time into my real estate business, I'd be even further along than I am. Um, but there's just something about Mexico. There's something about the love of those two animals. And, you know, people ask me like, oh, do you want to go to Africa or do you want to go to where, you know, so-and-so and this and that and travel over here and go. And the answer is like, man, I just love, I love what I'm doing right now. And, uh, you know, there may sure. be a time when I want to transition and just be like, no, I want to go do this. And, and that's great. But like for a long time now, my mind is constantly focused on coos deer and constantly focused on Gould's turkey. Um, you know, I would throw elk in that mix. I would throw bighorn sheep in that mix. Um, but again, like we talked about earlier, like I love the fact that I can kind of go from season to season and my brain kind of is able to, to turn off on one and turn on, on the, on another and, and, and I can be fully focused. And then when that's over, then I transition and go into the next one. Um, you know, there's no doubt the way that I go at things and how hard that I, my mind thinks about things that if I had to just do coos deer or just do Gould's Turkey or just do elk, um, I think over time I'd get burned out on it real quick. Um, yeah. So. No, that makes sense. Um, and I, and I always sense that, that passion from you and, and, and all that. And it's contagious, man. You kind of got me back to thinking about, I really do need to get back to turkey hunting. Uh, for all, for all that I harass you about it, um, I do think to myself, like, man, I really, I enjoyed it as a kid. You know what I mean, Jay? And so your, your passion for turkey hunting comes out in, in all that you put out. Well, it's one of those things that, um, it's probably like a lot of things. If you really go in and look at it as you're going in for the true game and, and, and the full sport of it, and, and you want to experience all of the different levels of like roosting birds. Okay. Now what do I do once I got them roosted and okay, now we're going to do a morning hunt, get in there in the dark. We're going to set up decoys. You know, we're I've never been waterfowl hunting. I've never been duck hunting in my life. Everyone tells me, Jay, don't go duck hunting because as soon as you do, you'll be an addict for like 45 days a year. That'll be another thing that you'll have to do, <laughs> you know, like your poor wife. But, you know, if you look at turkey hunting as like, there's several ways you can look at it. One is like, oh yeah, we're just going to drive down the road. And if we see one, we're going to hop out and, you know, run after them and shoot them with a shotgun. Well, yeah, uh, you can do that. Yeah. Um, Technically it's turkey hunting, but not really. Yeah. Um, or, you know, <laughs> they're like the turkeys are the dumbest animals I've ever seen. And people send me videos all the time. They're like, this is so stupid. I can't believe you devote that much time. I'm like, well, I get it. Or you can say, I'm going to learn this game and I'm going to try and, you know, learn everything and do everything quote unquote the right way. And I'm going to try and hear all of the sounds and I'm going to do it. And, it's amazing when you kind of come at it from that attitude uh, with, from that perspective, how fun it gets and how challenging they actually are. And yeah, I mean, you're like my, but some of my buddies are like, you can pull up and honk the horn and they gobble, or you can pull up and like blow a coyote call and they gobble. Like, why don't you just honk <laughs> the horn? I'm like, cause the horn is, it's just not the same. And they're like, but it works the same. I'm like, well, okay. But <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, but turkey hunting is one of those things. There's, there's a lot to it. It's got some real detail oriented stuff and it's just, they, you know, we, we harvest a lot of birds in Mexico on a lot of different properties and I get to see a lot of birds get harvested. And it's one of those things that doesn't matter. Still hasn't, it's, 
when, when they come in, they come in strutting, they come in gobbling and we're successful and the hunter gets a shot and gets a nice bird. It's the same feeling as I had from the very first time I went and, and called one in and was like, that was the coolest thing that, that feeling has never gone away. And I always say the second that that goes away, I'm done. I'll pick something else, but it hasn't gone away. And I'm just as fired up now as I was, you know, 30 years ago when I first started hunting them. That's cool, man. So when you get those like close, those close gobbles, does your heart start going? Dum, 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 still does that? Still does that today. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah. you're you're calling and nothing and nothing, and you're, you know, you sit for 15 minutes and you call again and nothing, and you're sitting there and you're just quiet and you got your face net on and you're just call again and boom, he gobbles and he's right behind you and you just hear him coming. Oh, it's the same. I mean, it, 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 it's not changed for me. Of course, you know, I've seen a lot more turkeys and had a lot more experiences, but that, that rush, um, no different than like you lay that cast out there and that fly is just dripping down and here it comes by a rock and you're like that scene that should be a fish. And then boom, you see the nose come up. I mean, like it doesn't matter how many fish I see rise to a dry fly. It still fires me up. Um, obviously the bigger the fish get, the more excited I get, but you know, it's, it's one of those things I say when that, when that, when my love for that goes away, I'm going to pick up something different, you know, maybe I'll get into pickleball. Who knows? Um, yeah, yeah, no, I, I it's, hear you. It's, it's one of those things on the, on the fish on the fishing I have a question for you. This is just more out of my own curiosity. I'm not a big fly fisherman myself. My, my father's a pretty big fisherman. I've got an uncle that's in the fishing business. But do you find that the, anal the analogous excitement you get from hunting and fishing that you just described, do you find that limited to fly fishing, Jay? No. Um, you don't? Okay. No. I, I So... I like any type of fishing. I like any type of bite. I love, you know, tackle and gear. And I was always the kid that, you know, didn't get much exposure to it. And, and, you know, anytime, like my mom will always tell you, she'd laugh. She'd say, what do you want to do for your birthday? I want to go to the lake. And they'd take me to a little urban lake there in Phoenix. And me and my buddies would, you know, lay on the dock with little hand lines and try and catch bluegill and, you know, they would take me to uh, sporting goods stores, you know, tackle shops or something. And, you know, maybe that's what I got for Christmas was a new tackle box or got some new worms or something. But I was the kid that like would go into a tackle store. And I mean, you could leave me in there for three hours. I'm going to go and read <laughs> every package. I'm going to feel the worms. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, you know, the plastic worms, they used to just where you could just have them in these bins and you. Oh could, yeah. I remember that. Or yeah. even and they had the, they had the salt all over them. You'd get it all. Over yeah. Yeah. And, and you yeah. smell it, you know, you'd kind of look around, you'd you're like, what's, why does it smell like that? Or you'd, <laughs> you'd have the, 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 the plastic baits, you know, in like the plastic bags and you'd like squeeze them with your finger and they'd be all gushy and, you know, you'd read all the, the, the uh, hook packages and like, why is this one curved like this? And why is that one, you know, has barbs on the outside and it has this and it has that. And, you know, I'm just looking and I got, you know, really no one to be like, oh, well, this is this and this is that. Um, but it was always fascinating to me, um, you know, in the summer over here in San Diego, you know, my grandpa or my dad would take me on these half day fishing boats. And I mean, I didn't know what I was, I had no clue. I didn't even know how to cast. I didn't, but man, I was just like enamored with all any type of fishing and, and, you know, catching. I can remember being in the white mountains in Arizona and, you know, sitting there with my Zebco 33, waking up before the sun comes up and my mom and dad in the motorhome, like, what are you doing? I'm going to go catch the first bite. And here I am out there sitting at the lake and I get my worm and put it on a bobber. And I think I know what I'm doing. I cast out there and I sit there all day, you know, noon comes around. I'm just hadn't caught a fish and, you know, in comes this boat, this old guy, and he pulls up to the, to the dock. And I kind of looking over there and he pulls up this old, like you've seen them, these, the, the stringer, um, they had the, the stringers and then they had like the, the mesh like basket. Oh yeah. I remember that. Yeah. He pulls it up and there's, it's full of fish. I mean, he's probably 
30 fish over his limit. But as a kid, I'm looking over there like, what? Oh my gosh. <laughs> look at all those fish. Those are rainbow trout. You know, just, I hadn't caught a thing, but like the best trips of my life, because it was like, I don't know what I'm doing. And boy, I would love to catch one of those, one of these days. And, you know, watching people catch them and think, golly, that guy's got it figured out, you know? And then, you know, I was all, I was not afraid to be a kid at the dock. Like, what'd you catch them on? What time were they biting? Like, and they're looking at me like, dude, just go away. You know, some, (laughs) some people would be, you know, old timers would be like, well, I caught them on a this and that. I'm like, what is that? He pulls it out, you know, in my mind. So then I, you know, then you didn't have cameras or cell phones or anything. But I guarantee you, I had a mental image of that lure that he showed me. And the next time I was in the tackle box, I was doing anything I could to be like, you know, what do you want for your birthday? I want one of those because that guy caught all those fish on that. And, you know, I'd be like, what pound test are you using and asking all kinds of questions? And that's just my love. I still today, I love fishing. I love hunting just like that as a little kid. And I hope that never goes away. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. Um, when your, your father and grandfather, were they real passionate about it, Jay, or were they just, they, they were just taking you for your own interest? Yeah. So my grandfathers were cattlemen and they were not really into hunting or fishing, but they knew that, you know, my grandma actually got me, uh, really young, five, six, seven years old. I remember she would get field and stream magazine for me and outdoor life. And I can remember coming home from school, wanting to go to grandma's house. Cause I knew that that was the day that the, the field and stream was going to be delivered to the mailbox. And I was the kid that would go and read those magazines. And I would literally, I, I, th- I threw stacks of them away 20, 30 years ago, which I should have kept because it was really <laughs> cool. But I had corners of those magazines marked where there were certain tips. Remember there was like Tapley tips or something like that. Yeah, there was a guy, TJ Tapley or something. And there were the, every, every magazine, there were these five tips that he gave and I would always mark the pages or there were articles on, you know, f- you know, fishing for largemouth bass at El Salto in Sonora, Mexico. And I'd read all about it and I would just dream, just dream to, to someday go and, and experience that. And I think, you know, all of us as sportsmen, I think we all have an element of that, of like just wanting to go and experience some of those places and, and, you know, hear those elk bugle and hear those turkeys gobble and, you know, feel the tug on the line and, you know, just some of those things. And, you know, there's tons of stuff as an adult, almost 50 years old that I have not witnessed, you know, a, a marlin jumping out of the water, a sailfish, you know, running on the baits. I mean, so, you know, that, that's a beautiful thing about, you know, outdoors and being a sportsman is there's so many things that we can still experience out there. And, and it, it's just an awesome, you know, so fortunate to to even be introduced to, um, you know, the sport you, you, you ask about my dad and grandfathers, they, they kind of did it because they knew that I took an interest in it. And, uh, right. You know, I didn't grow up where, you know, my dad's or my grandpa's, that was their passion. A lot of people do. And, uh, you know, some of those kids turn out and they just want to do everything that their dad and grandpa does. And, and they love hunting and fishing. Um, you know, I was a case of, you know, really just had to kind of be around and try and try and get any experience that I could. I also think there's kids that maybe get raised hunting and fishing and they just, they don't really love it because it's just something they did so much. They just, they just didn't have a passion for it. And I think that's the same for golf or tennis or football or, you know, building houses or whatever, you know, you can either embrace it or you can be like no that's all i did as a kid and i want nothing to do with that um so you know who knows if i would have been exposed early on um you know but i wouldn't trade anything for 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 what i've been through for sure yeah no i i hear you and um i it, it's interesting to me because and you and i want to hear your thoughts on this jay because you've you've been in the business over double as long as i have been you've been 
you've seen more of a change in this regard. You know, social media and websites is a form of marketing for the outfitting and guiding business. They were always part of my world, but they, they, they weren't really in probably the beginning of your career. I actually view it um, in a lot of ways, some positive things of social media is it makes a lot of like the things you describe that you experienced as a kid that you actually had to like scrape up. You had to like work at it, you know, to, to get to those, you know, get into that tackle shop or get that filled in stream. It seems more accessible to people now. Um, and you actually see even, I mean, I had a lot of clients and it seemed to be a little trend to me that were like, you know, late onset hunters, uh, you know, or late onset fishermen. Um, so I actually viewed it as a positive thing uh, that came out of social media. You know, a lot of, the outdoor in, or outdoor folks kind of look at social media and, and, and view it as a very negative thing. Um, what are your thoughts on that? So I'm the exact opposite. I feel like social media, there's never been a better way for me as an individual to portray what hunting and fishing has done for me personally. You know, business one thing outfitting is one thing but what the tug of a, of a fish has done on the end of my line or a turkey gobbling or an elk bugling there's not a better way for me to showcase that and i run all of my social media thinking that there's one person whether it's a kid that's six years old or whether it's someone that's lived in a city their whole life and they're 55 years old and they're retiring and they've never, I always base, and this is the honest truth. I literally daily remind myself that I want to be a pot, shed a positive light on hunting and fishing. Always. I don't want to do anything that's going to detract from being a sportsman and what that responsibility that, that we have been given I do not want to take that lightly. And if there's anything that I can do to be a positive influence and help someone, whether it's inform, educate, or motivate someone to pick up a fishing rod or to pick up the phone and say, I want to go on a hunt. That's what drives me. That's what dr drove me to start my podcast. I did not start my podcast ever ever, ever, ever with the intention of monetizing it ever. I did it because I wanted to help people learn how to hunt and fish. I do my Q and A's on Instagram and answer questions. And some of them, I get the same question 50 times and people say, do you get tired of answering? The answer is no. I will answer them till the day I die. Because if I can influence one single person out there, I look especially at little kids and, you know, teenagers, and they have to have something to look forward to. And so for anyone out there that views social media as a negative, I, I, via, I can't even say it. I, I oppose that so much that it, it, it's, it's a free platform where you can go on there and be a positive influence to someone else. I do not uh, subscribe to the negativity and, and, oh, you know, they burned my spot. So what? It's not your spot. You, you know, it, sportsmen, I feel like we've gotten so, uh, a bunch of people have gotten so selfish and it's about them. It's not about you. It's about everyone. It's about sportsmen being able to enjoy it just because you got into the sport and you like the way that you can hear your little spot or the elk bugle, everyone should be able to experience that. Now, granted, I'm not out there to give people spots away. I've right. if <laughs> yeah. you've listened to my 800 and some episodes of my podcast. I've tried very hard. Yes. To shed light on States and units and different animals, but I try very hard not to talk about people's specific spots, but Social media is the perfect platform for people to go on for free. Doesn't cost a dime. Oh, well, Facebook and Instagram and TikTok, they're monitoring and they're, you know, blah, blah, blah. I don't buy that at all. Go on there, be a positive influence, help someone out, give someone 
you know, the time of day, answer their questions. For me, that's what drives me. That's what drove me to start my podcast. That's what drove me to get, you know, seven years in and 800 and some episodes. That's what drives me to make Instagram posts and answer questions. You know, I'm answering, you know, probably a hundred, at least a hundred questions, direct messages a week. You know, sometimes during the seasons, it's 200 a week. I answer every single question. I, I, I never want to be accused of saying, I sent that guy a question three times and he never responded. I want to <laughs> be the guy where you where Cliff Gray and his brother sent Warren Buffett letters and he wrote something back and he framed it on his wall. That's, that's what motivates me is to help people. And, you know, your brother, you guys have been so successful in that business, but you guys getting a response back from, from, from one of the most brilliant minds in the industry probably motivated your brother to do things that he might've never done if he wouldn't have got a response. Yeah. When, right, when right, the response was, it probably changed his life. And so I do not agree with the, you know, social media has ruined hunting and fishing. If anything, we all as individuals need to look at it as what can I do today to help someone else out and bring a positive light on hunting and fishing. And that is, I literally wake up every day and that's kind of my mantra. That's what I want to do. And that's what I do with my outfitting business. That's what I do with my podcast. That's what I do with my social media is, is just try and help someone and, and nothing is more rewarding than getting a message saying, and I get them all the time. And it just makes me just, it just makes me want to jump is I wouldn't have killed this animal because uh, you had so-and-so on the podcast. And that tip that that person gave me is, is what helped me be successful. And to me, over any money, any sponsor, anything in the world, someone having success because of something that I was able to help, uh, whether it was something I said or it was a question I asked, that is what drives me. And that's, that's, that's what makes me tick right there. I, I, I want to be approachable. Um, I don't ever, I kind of got yesterday an Instagram a I was posting some stuff and I'm going to continue about reading topo maps. And I had some people come and they said, you know, basically poo-pooing or saying that, you know, that's an elementary question. Anyone should know the answer to that. And I responded, well, you might know the answer to that, but I get a lot of people asking me the same question. And there's a lot of things in life that I could probably point out that you have no clue about. So just because you know the answer to this, it may be stupid to you, but it's not stupid to someone else. So basically buzz off. You know, if you, know, if you <laughs> yeah, don't sure. like, if you don't like me trying to help someone and you think it's too elementary, go somewhere else. Like, yeah, I'm, scroll, scroll on, buddy. Keep scrolling. Like <laughs> I, you know, and, and, you know, had, you know, 25 other people send me messages saying, wow, I never looked at it. And it was a simple thing. But it's yeah, simple sure. to me because I've done it. But yeah, there was yeah. times in other aspects of hunting and fishing that I had no clue about until someone told me. So I think the information and educational aspect of social media is fantastic. And I think each and every one of us has lots to share. And uh, so I just encourage people out there that if, if you've not thought of social media as some tool to bring positivity. I think it's time to, you know, go on there and, you know, make a positive comment or pose a, a, an interesting question to make people think. Um, but dang sure don't be negative. I, I try and always be positive. Um, I don't tolerate any negativity. I'll, you know, block or delete or I just, I don't, I don't need it. I've, there's too little time in the day and too many great things to do out there. It's, it's, I don't want to dwell on the negativity. I only want to bring positivity. Yeah, no, I love it, man. And that, uh, we're going to have to, we're going to have to end on that, Jay, cause, uh, I'm totally with you. And I found that last answer super motivating. If I was being totally honest, <laughs> um, I find the same thing with it, man. Like, um, 
I think, you know, a month or, ago, month or so ago, I, I put some, I've been doing all these YouTube videos on my YouTube channel. and Phenomenal. Some, Cliff, I've been just loving every one of them. I think I've sent you a couple messages. Really want to encourage people to check out your stuff because it's exactly what I'm talking about. You, you, are, you are talking about things. You are bringing things to light. You're sharing information, education. Like I can't say enough good things about what you're doing on your YouTube channel. Um, and it takes a guy like you, who's a very good communicator um, and, and willing to take your time to share. You know, you've been an outfitter in the one of the biggest outfitting businesses in the country. Your owner operator, like your experience level, is is through the roof and and you're breaking down things some that are very simple all the way up to very advanced and i love what you're doing but sorry to interrupt yeah no i appreciate it jay but what i was going to say is i i I put a post out there that that basically said like and it was because i had gotten some positive messages exactly what you're talking about jay guys that said hey like this tip helped me you know, be successful and they send you a picture and it could be like a dough. And I'm still like, this is awesome. When they spent, I think this was like a spike bull or something. I was like, this is awesome. And you don't understand, like you brighten my whole day by telling me that somehow magically I was part of your success, you know? Yeah. And I mean, no. it, the thing is like, everybody starts at a certain level and, you know, it may be that they've never killed an elk. And I mean, Cliff, you've gutted more elk than most people have seen. So it's like, you know, you've been around more cow elk, gutting more cow elk than most people have seen elk in their life. And here's someone saying that they killed a cow elk or a spike elk or whatever it may be. And they're excited about it. And you should be excited about it because they're taking their time to message you and thank you for something you did. I mean, it doesn't get any better in our world than that. And, and what you're doing with your YouTube channel is absolutely fantastic. I think uh, in, in years to come, I think down the road, your YouTube channel is going to be looked at as, you know, like almost biblical, like things that you're going <laughs> seriously, like things that you're going over and things that you're talking about and bringing to light. And, and, and some of, you know, your top 10 elk tips and some of the things that you're, you know, gear tips and, and packing and, you know, all the stuff you're basically taking years and years and years of knowledge and just giving it out there for people. All they have to do is subscribe to your YouTube channel. You're not asking for their firstborn. You're not asking for anything. <laughs> you're asking for them to come and see if what you're saying is, is, is something that they would gain from. And, and I think from every level, from beginners to intermediates to experts, people can learn um, from you. So just keep it up. And I love what you're doing. Thanks, Jay. I really uh, appreciate it, man. And thanks for letting me do this. I really appreciate the opportunity to interview you, man. I hope I hope some of the questions are unique and they weren't all of those questions you've answered a thousand times, but I got a lot out of it, man. I've been your friend for years. So I got some answers that I hadn't even heard. So I appreciate it, Jay. I really appreciate the opportunity, man. Um, yeah, this you, is going to be fun. I think the listeners of the podcast are going to love to have uh, a little bit different take. And so I think you're going to be a great guest host um, and, and, and just add to what, you know, I've put my heart and soul into this thing since 2015. And, and um, absolutely, when we started talking about this, it just seemed like a great fit. Um, so, you know, I wouldn't do this with, with just anybody. And I felt like um, there's no better person to uh, do something like this. So I'm excited. I know you're excited about it. And I just want to thank all of the supporters, all of the listeners out there for um, years and years of support. And um, we're going to just keep plugging away, guys. So appreciate it, Cliff. Awesome. Thanks, Jay. All right, buddy.